Sure beats last week. <laughs> 20 below zero or whatever it was with all the wind chill factors and things going into account. Can't imagine it was that cold. And now it gets up to 20 degrees and we think it's a heat wave. <laughs> so what... It, it's cra- it's fully, I don't know, fully crazy how, how that whenever we start into winter, winter, <laughs> winter, you know, it starts getting cold and it's like 40 degrees and we're cold, you know. But in the middle of winter when it gets down to zero and 10 below, then it goes up to 20 and it's like, wow, this is a heat wave, you know. So I guess it's just what you get used to. Well, this morning, the scripture I have and the number of texts, but it's in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. But, and I passed, the, I passed out some of the texts, or many of the texts that I have for today. And I, I want you to, you can write on them, look at them, s- circle things. But I want us to see, uh, well, the title of my lesson is Uncommon, Uncommon Valor, which is courage, boldness, and bravery. And... Um, for us, and, f- and looking into the new year, the future is in front of us, <laughs> you know. So we put these things together. Uncommon valor is that we're going to look into the future, and we're not going to be frightened by what's coming. We're going to have courage because we're going to have the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that he has a purpose and a plan for all of this, and that we are involved in that plan. We are involved in his purpose. And this scripture is in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you, to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Well, this is an uncommon commitment. So in the book of Ruth, we have Naomi, uh, and her husband leaving Bethlehem and going to Moab. Now, if you look on the, the map, you know, this isn't like going from, well, it's about a 50-mile journey. So from Bethlehem to Moab is about 50 miles. And Moab is, you know, is a, an area um, west of the Dead Sea in, in the mountains and going out into the desert. And, of course, Bethlehem is near Jerusalem, and it's on the uh, eastern side of the Dead Sea and, and of the Jordan River. So when they make this trip, it's not like they're going 1,000 miles. They're, they're going about 50 miles uh, or maybe a little further to wherever they're headed in Moab. Now, while they were in Moab, Naomi, her husband, dies, and Naomi has two sons. And we know that her, son, her two sons uh, are married. They get married. And then her two sons die. I remember one commentator said that the, her sons were involved in the military in Moab and they were fighting and that they died in battle. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but we know that's pro- maybe what happened, that they both died suddenly. So when Naomi, who now is a stranger, a foreigner in this in Moab, and we know that she went to this area, this region, because there was a great drought in, in Jerusalem and Israel and at that area in Bethlehem where they lived. And so uh, Naomi lived there about 10 years, and when after her husband had died and her two sons had died, she decided to move back to Bethlehem. 
So, and we know that as you read the book of Ruth, her two daughters, um, Ruth and, um, oh, I forgot her name, Orpha, that their two daughters-in-law went with Ruth part of the way on, the journey, on this journey back to, to Bethlehem. But whenever they got to the edge of the country, which may have been five, ten, we don't know how far it was, but it was a few miles, that um, Naomi said, okay, girls, <laughs> go back home. Go back to your, fam- go back to your parents, go back to your, uh, your village where you grew up, and your families will be able to take care of you. Because we know that for a widow in Israel, uh, or in that time period, they were basically beggars. Unless someone would, uh, in the family would, remar- would marry them, or they could find a husband. But usually that didn't happen. Um, in this documentary that I was listening to, they said that the average woman lived to the age of 28. And they usually had six children by then. <laughs> and the average man lived to the age of 32. So their life expectancy was not very long. So that's why we know that for them to be married at 13, 14 years old, that was common because, and they had to marry, generally married someone who was a man who had some type of means. And so that's why the men were usually older and the widow and the ladies were usually younger. And so when the husband died, the widow was left on her own or to her children. So it was important for her to have children. <laughs> and uh, whenever we read in the Old Testament how that uh, they, when they didn't have a child, it was almost considered this was a curse from God because there was no one to take care of the woman should her husband die. And so that's why it was so important. So whenever we start putting this together, Naomi then is telling her two daughter-in-laws, go back to your families. They will take care of you. Because I know in Israel, back in Bethlehem where we're going, we're going to have to be beggars. There's no one to take care of us. There's no one to help us when we get there. But we know that her daughter Ruth refused to leave her. And... um, Orpha, she decided to go back. We might say that she decided to stay where she felt it was safe. And as we look back over the past year, we could say, well, at least we know where, what happened and we kind of feel safe in our past. We, find, we feel safe in a routine, that we like routine because we know that we've done the routine and guess what? We didn't die <laughs> and nothing bad happened, so let's do the routine again. Well, Ruth had refused to leave, and she was willing to live by a higher standard. That is, she was willing to go and be with Naomi and be this individual who would uh, uh, be a beggar in, in Bethlehem. We find that Naomi, uh, even though she is headed back to Bethlehem, She heads back to Bethlehem being very bitter. And there's there's scripture, I'm not going to read all the scripture text, but just kind of fill you in a little bit on the story. Naomi heads back to um, Bethlehem. Now, Naomi means sweetness, I believe, pleasantness. 
and she, wants, she changes her name. She goes to the post office there in Bethlehem and changes her name, you know, and got a new mailing address. Just thought I'd throw that in there. And, uh, <laughs> and she says, I'm not Naomi, I am Mara, Mara, which means bitterness. For the Lord, this is the quote, for the Lord took me out full and brought me back empty. So, husband, two sons are dead. She is empty. And who did this? God. <laughs> well, do you ever know people who are angry at God? <laughs> the people who look at what happens in their life and they, they find themselves believing that God is at fault for making all this stuff happen in their life. And nothing good is ever going to come of it. And so they carry, they carry their bitterness with them throughout their life. And so they'll take it from one year to the next. There's no need to plan for anything good in the next year because I planned for things good in the last year and it didn't happen. And it's certainly not going to happen in this economy and in this situation. And with, you know, we can go on and on and on. So, but the difference is, Ruth saw something in Naomi, pleasant one. She saw something in her before she became bitter that made her think there's more to her God than the, the gods that we worship. Now, um, when they arrived in, in Bethlehem, Ruth knew the uh, principle, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> and in Israel, that was, uh, that was you know, it was, the, it was the law that the gleaners, the people in the fields, they would have to leave grain in order for the, to take care of the, the poor. The poor who couldn't sustain themselves, didn't have income for whatever reason, the widows, they would have to go out in the field and the harvest, the, the, the men who were harvesting were by law needed to leave parts of the grain on the ground and those who would follow them, the widows and the poor, would be able to clean, those, to clean them up. Well, in this process of working and cleaning, <laughs> um, we find that she was noticed by the owner of the field, <laughs> And his name is Boaz. And Boaz, it's, it's interesting. Now, I, I didn't know this part. Was, I was looking up, you know, sometimes I, I start looking things up on the Internet and trying to find out, well, where did this, how did this all come about? So, Boaz. Boaz was the son of Rahab. Who's Rahab? She's the lady in, on the wall of Jericho who took care of the spies. She was a harlot. And she hid the two spies in her house whenever they came to uh, kill them. You know, the Jericho, uh, they, were, they were afraid of the Israelites who were out there, you know, planning to invade. And, and Rahab put the scarlet robe, put the scarlet cord out her window. And that was the sign that God would not destroy the wall where she lived. So Boaz was the son of Rahab, who was a Canaanite. Canaanites are the, son, are, are the descendants of Noah, and Noah's son, Ham. And um, they were a wicked people. So Boaz was Rahab's son, and of the Canaanites, who were of Noah's descendant of the Ham, 
of Ham, that, that generation down, and they were known as wickedness. Ruth, she was a Moabite. Moabites were descendants of Lot. Remember what Lot, you know, when, in Lot of Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah with his wife and two daughters. And we know what happened to his wife, remember? She turned back and she turned into a pillar of salt. <laughs> well, Lot's two daughters <laughs> thought they were the last descent. They were, well, you know, people say that you can take a person out of, well, they, they say this of Rhonda, you know. You can move Rhonda out of Wimber, but you'll never take Wimber out of Rhonda. <laughs> okay? Well, she, you know, they see, she got, we, we come to the basketball game, football games, you know, things going on, you know, that type of thing. Well, the two daughters of Lot, they were taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but you didn't take Sodom and Gomorrah out of them. Because what they did was they got their dad drunk. <laughs> and one of them went in and she had sexual relationships with her dad, became pregnant. She talked her sister into doing it, got him drunk. She became pregnant with her father. So Lot, um, out of Sodom and Gomorrah, two bartered with her father, and after getting him drunk, two sons, two nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Amorites. So the two nations that came from Lot's daughters were the Moabites and the Amorites. They were good at producing evil, and they were enemies of Abraham's descendants. And so Ruth comes from that group. <laughs> so we would think, whoa, wait a minute here. We've got some really mixed up people going on. You know, we got some, we got some heritage here that just isn't good. But guess what? This is, and we'll find out, that Ruth marries Boaz, and their son is Obed, who is, their, who is the father of King David, who is the lineage of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, you know, people can have a really mixed up background. <laughs> you know, people can have a really mixed up uh, uh, life in which their ancestries <laughs> are, are wrapped in wickedness, but there's a change in heart in which they become one with Christ. And we find that with Ruth, we find that she could barely survive to, um, um, she was the one who would survive, as it were, from her family and become the lineage of Jesus. And she's the one that we, is the one who is quoted here in our scripture, that do, don't urge me to leave you. So Ruth tells Naomi, don't tell me to go away. Don't tell me to turn back. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. She was willing to risk everything and go with Naomi to Bethlehem. And she knew the outcome. She was going to be a beggar. There was no hope in finding, you know, satisfaction or whatever, she was going back, she was going there to be a beggar with Naomi. So the challenge in going into the new year, no matter what has happened in the past, no matter what our heritage, no matter how bad things may have been in the past, 
we need to let it go, and that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the, the God of, we know that Jesus came born of a virgin, the, 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 the Jesus, our Heavenly Father, our Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that one God forever one, heard that on that little documentary, never thought of it that way, one God forever one is the God who will see us through into the new year to which we put our hope. So let go of the past. Remember the future is in front of you. Don't urge yourself to stay in the past and look behind. Urge ourselves to look into the future. So the second part, if you look there, Psalm, 20, Psalm 55, verse 22 so whenever we are leaving our past and we're headed into the new year, we're going to have problems. <laughs> we're going to have the opportunity to carry our baggage. You know, I often say people, people sometimes can, uh, the story is that a guy lives in Chicago and he moves to Wimber. Okay, this story and, uh, well, what is Wimber like? Well, what was Chicago like? Oh, well, it was just, there was terrible people everywhere you went. There was crowded. Everything you did was just pushing and shoving and all that stuff. He says, what's Wimber like? Well, it's kind of the same thing. You know? Then another guy from New York City comes, and he says, well, what's Wimber like? Well, what was New York City like? Oh, it was lovely. There were people. They were friendly. They were kind. They didn't blow the horn at you, you know. They didn't, you know, run you down on the streets. Well, that's what Wimber's like. <laughs> you see, whatever you, you, you can bring your past with you. And people who are always finding wrong and finding fault will always, <laughs> I said always. But you see, God can change everything. Leave your baggage in, the last, in last year. Get it lost on the airways. <laughs> Let them lose your baggage whenever you're flying into your present, present position. So, we then are to cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He cares for you. He will never let the righteous be forsaken. Remember that. Going into the new year, cast your cares upon the Lord. That we pray about them. To be strengthened by the mighty hand of God is to stop living in your own strength and instead wholly relying on His. Ruth did not know the future. But I'm going with you, Naomi. <laughs> Ruth didn't know what the future held, but she was going to stay with Naomi. Your God will be my God. So whenever you are praying and casting your cares upon the Lord, you're being an example for someone who is watching. I will follow you as you follow Christ. You see, God longs, God longs to do far more uh, for us. He is wanting to do exceedingly abundantly above everything that we could ask or think. <laughs> now, some people, you would think they could run out of words. 
They can ask and they can run on with every thought and, you know, just fill up. You know, God is saying, I can do more than you can even ask. I can do more for you than you can even think or imagine. And if you will learn, if we will learn to live on in his love, his power, and his guidance, we will find that he will provide for us, and we are called to be dependent. Now, most of the time we think, you know, we need to be independent, and, well, it isn't that I can't do it, it's that I am, lo- I am asking God to give me the strength and the direction to do it so that I am not on my own. So uncommon valor, uncommon courage, fearlessness, and boldness is the confidence that we have in God. With this is the confidence that we have in God to go into the new year. <laughs> so the past year is closed. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> Good, bad, ugly, <laughs> wonderful, terrible, doesn't matter. It's over. Move on. Did you know that's one of the worst things in life is to be successful? And then you can never live up to it again. And you're always striving to become like what you were whenever you were really successful and you had a really good year. So there are fresh opportunities that center uh, on our life, that are centered on our life that haven't come to us yet. There are things that God has in store for us that we haven't arrived at the place where they are to be given to us. Because everything needs to arrive at, appointed, at an appointed time. And there are certain things that God is waiting for people to align and to get in the right position for these doors to open. So we then are to take, um, take advantage of our faith and believe for the good and trust in the good that God is going to do for us. So we're looking forward toward what is coming. We're looking toward what God wants to do in our life, and he's not done yet. Do you know how I know God's not done with you? We haven't had your funeral. <laughs> I'd, I'd ask you to raise your hand if you're, you're not dead, but some people might not raise their hand, and I'd have to go back and check up. So anyhow, <laughs> you're not dead yet. And when, you're lying, when, you're, when you go to heaven, it's all over, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So you're not there yet, so we need to have faith to go into the future, to go forward. These are fresh opportunities. Fresh opportunities. Just hatched. <laughs> Just ready to be hatched. So make space. Make space to gain God's perspective. He will do above what you could ask or think. Make space for God to do something in your, in your mind and in your heart. Uncommon valor. What are some of the things God would have you focus on? It's next on the list. Uh, Philippians 4.13. What are some of the things that God would have us focus on in the future? I can do. <laughs> no, I, I have to sit around and wait for other people to do it for me. No, Ruth had to go out into the field and glean the, the, the grain. She came home with an, um, an ephod, whatever. Anyhow, she is the widow, and she's out there with the other widows in the field. She comes home with a bushel of grain. 
I mean, that's about 50 pounds, a bushel of, of grain, barley. So when she, she comes home and she gleans, you know, she knocks out the, the you know, gleans it from the, the stalks. And she takes, so she comes home with 50 pounds of barley. That's enough for her and Naomi to, to have for a couple of weeks food. <laughs> and she just got it in one day. Divine favor. Because she was noticed by Boaz. But if she would have sat at home and done nothing, she wouldn't have come home with a bushel of wheat or a bushel of barley. You see, sometimes God wants us to go and do, and in the doing, we're noticed. It's the widow following up the, the people who are harvesting, and she comes up with a bushel. God can do far more abundantly. You know, they never dreamed of getting a bushel of barley. But God can do far more abundantly than you can ever ask or think. And what is it because of? Because of the power that is at work in you. It's already there. What we need and how, how, what we have to have in place to open up the doors and to, to arrive at this outcropping of God's blessing is already inside of us. Abundance, ample, more than ample. <laughs> Whatever the need, we multiply it. You look at the need and say, that's one. And God says, more than abundantly, multiply that need by a hundred will be the provision. The need is one. The abundance is a hundred times that. There will be a hundred times what that need is. That's the abundance. God has promised to drop into our lives by his grace and mercy. Naomi went out thinking maybe they could get something to eat for, for that meal that day. She comes back with a bushel. She was noticed by Boaz, but God had placed her in the right place and the right field and the right kinsman redeemer. So, we are made strong by knowing the inability to live the Christian life on our own. I can't be a Christian without God. I can't, my, my future doesn't depend on me, it depends on God. My future doesn't depend on how I can make things happen, but I'm going to go and do what is before me to do, and God will make things happen. God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you. My divine favor on your life is sufficient for your life. You are divinely blessed by God. It is sufficient for you. And God says his power is made perfect in weakness. So here is Naomi, a widow, a foreigner, in a field trying to find substance, and she is the least of the least in the field, and she comes home with a bushel. God noticed, put things in place. God's grace never forced, is never forced on us. It's presented to us. To be strengthened by the mighty hand of God is to stop living in our own strength. Instead, we are wholly relying on his. We go into the field and glean what is leftovers. 
(laughs) And as a common widow, beggar, coming home with a bushel. Did you, did you know God longs to do far more? This is, is kind of like the antithesis. That's a big word. That's a nice word. Antithesis. That God longs to do far more abundantly than all you ask or think. God longs to do this. He longs to put within us and to provide for us more than we can ask or think. So God wants to do this, present this to our lives, so that we will continue to build our faith. Our faith is built on faith. Faith is ever-increasing. Faith is ever-growing. Why? Because we are building upon what God continues to do in our life. God has plans far above and far greater than anything we could plan. He has plans that we can't even dream about. He will faithfully guide you into this place of receiving his blessing. Now we are to take time and to direct our prayers toward God to do what is seemingly inconceivable. If we look at our page, it is Philippians 4.13. We meditate on God's desires to empower you. And it in first in Philippians 4:13 says, I can do. I can do all things through the one who gives me strength. The one who gives me strength is the one who enables me to do all things. Galatians 2:20. We don't turn back. Orpha turned back. Ruth went forward. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what I am saying is, there is is God who loves me. He has already proven that by giving himself for me, so therefore my dying out to self is coming alive to the Spirit of Christ. Philippians 4, 12, and 13. Again, verse 13 again. I know how to be brought low. This is Paul talking. I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have nothing. But I know this. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, because I know that God can help me go. I can do all things through Christ. I can face the abundance. I can face the need, and God will give me strength. And the second part here is acknowledge your need of God's help in every area. Romans 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. You see, you kick it to the side. Everyone is tempted. So we kick it to the side. It's going to come. We kick it to the side. Sin has no dominion over me. I'm not under the law. I'm not under right and wrong. I'm not under this principles, you failed, you you're succeed, you did No, I'm under grace. I'm under the favor of God. I'm under the blessing of God upon my life. And with that blessing upon my life, there are no limits above all that we ask or think. So as we face the new year, we're looking for above and beyond. We're looking for limitlessness. <laughs> 
That's a big word, too. Now, anyhow, it's, I probably made it up, limitlessness. That's probably in the Bible somewhere. I'm sure it's not in a dictionary. But anyhow, <laughs> limitless, there's no limit to what God can do. And skipping down, uh, the number three, take time to receive God's presence and experience his grace. Seek his presence. Seek to be alone with God. To talk with him. With the, through the scriptures. Through his word. As obedient children, 1 Peter 1, 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former guidance. Don't look at life from the way that we used to. From the way that ego and people and being successful and having those images of what that is. Let, set that aside. God has a different perspective of success. God has a different perspective of blessing, of how that he is going to pour out upon you. And it is in his presence that we open ourselves up, that we're not going to be ignorant of what God is trying to do in our lives. But you are called to be holy. He shall be holy as I am holy. So we're kicking sin to the side and seeking the holiness of God. A new commandment I write unto you, I write unto you love one another. <laughs> don't get caught up in bitterness and anger and frustrations and don't like this and don't like that. God loves you. Allow him to love others through you. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the if I can travel at the speed of light from one mountaintop to the other, God is there. <laughs> so what are we doing? We're trusting God in whatever season, in whatever place he is leading us. He is leading us. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. For it's your kingdom and your power that I'm living by. So when I look into the new year, I have an expectation of what God will do. And it's greater than what I'm beginning to imagine. And I, I, I need to humble myself before God and glean where he has placed me. For you see... <laughs> Recently, I was remembered of a truth that comes from Scripture that, forces, that forced me to think, forced me to think that I don't need to be concerned about the future. Philippians 4, 6. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. So we build our life on what God has done and we do not allow things that worry us to eat away at the foundation. We are looking to the, to the God doing what he has promised to, promised to do. <laughs> and he has promised that if we are weary and heavy laden, it's okay. Take time to rest in his presence. Because God is going to do a new thing. God is going to take us to a, a new level, a new place. 
a greater understanding of his word, and that we can be blessed beyond what we can ever think or imagine. God is willing to do that. And he desires to bless us more than we could ever think or imagine. More than he can ever ask. So he is willing to do that. The question is, will we ask? Will we pray? Will we have confidence in God and his word to fulfill what he has promised? That's the hope of the new year. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the blessings you've given to us. We thank you for the hope that is in our hearts and lives. We thank you, God, for your word, which is a light to our path. We thank you that you open to us new opportunities and new things, just as Ruth went out into the field and gleaned with all the other widows as if she were a no one. But here she is, the grandmother of King David, gleaning in the field like a common person but yet your blessing was upon her life. So, Lord, we know that your blessing is upon our life. And, God, we will glean where we are planted. We are gleaned where we are placed. And, Lord, you will do a new thing in our life because we aren't sure, we don't know what that will provide in the future. So we're just being ourself, knowing that you are with us and you will provide for us just as you did with Ruth because you are our God, and we are your people. Amen? Amen. God bless you. And we are going to have a healthy and prosperous new year. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you.